0: Today's reading comes from the middle of the book of Genesis, the very first book in the biblical canon. The Genesis story starts with the story of creation and the story of God's relationship to the entire world. It moves to the flood and then to the recreation of the world. And then it tells the tale of God's relationship to humans, his chosen people, through the story of one Family. That is the family of the patriarch Abraham, who has promised that he will have many descendants, as many descendants as stars in the sky, but all kinds of plot twists come in to challenge this promise, most notably, Abraham and his wife are in their 80s. So how are you going to, and they have no children? So how is this going to happen? And the entire book is this family and these plot twists as how this promise will ever be fulfilled. Um, spoiler alert! It does get fulfilled, but um, the, these plot twists happen, and um, they eventually have a son named Isaac, who almost gets killed. Another great story, but not for another for another day. Um, Isaac then marries another woman who is infertile. All the matriarchs are somehow infertile, and then miraculously not. Um, and named Rebecca, and she conceives fraternal boy twin boys, Jacob and Esau. The boys are very different, even though they're twins, even in the womb. But there's no doubt that Jacob is his mother's favorite. But plot twist, Esau is the first twin born. And even if you're twins, there is one born first. And in the laws of primogeniture that ruled the land, Esau was the rightful heir to everything. Um, but Jacob is a documented trickster. He's not very likable, even though his mother loves him. And he tricks his dying father into giving him his, his, his brother's lawful inheritance. And his listeners in this story were once again left to wonder how will this promise ever be fulfilled if this is the person that's going to be fulfilled to through So listen, and thank you for that front story. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth to the top of it, reaching to the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring, and your offspring shall be like dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you and your offspring. Know that I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I do not even know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Hear what the Spirit is saying to you in the reading of those words. I've lived all but 12 years of my life in New York City, were the New York City metropolitan area, and two of those ten years were in Los Angeles. In these metropolitan areas, it's not uncommon to encounter a famous person. Moreover, I work at a hospital that is known to have patients that are public figures and celebrities. I'd violate all the HIPAA laws if I mentioned their names. But you have to trust me when I tell you that I did not recognize many of them when they arrived at the hospital as their most human and most humble, and I only discovered their true identity in the hushed whispers of clinical rounds when their alias was given further context. And they all get an alias. As a New York City resident, I have hurriedly walked my dog from New York City's Central Park to make a school pickup. Next, one day, next to someone who was baseball capped and wearing sweatpants. Um, And I thought, as I waited for our kids, wow, her face is so familiar. Is this a mom in the other section of kindergarten? Should I know them? And then it dawned on me, it was Katie Couric. But again, in a baseball cap, no makeup and sweatpants, not immediately recognizable. I waited at a porta potty at an equestrian competition in North Salem with an unshaven, unshowered, also baseball-capped Bill Gates, only to learn his identity when another parent shortly told me shortly thereafter, Hey, did you see that? It's Bill Gates. <laughs> He's over there. <laughs> I attended a Holy Week service at the Greek Orthodox Cathedral in Los Angeles, and the friend who I accompanied as part of my, I like to note all things about all these faiths, gave me a hard poke in the side. And for a moment, in the service, I was worried I'd done something wrong. Greek Orthodox services are full of ritual and things people know that they're doing correctly and incorrectly. And I looked at her, and she said, over there, that's Tom Hanks. He's here with his wife, Rita Wilson. She's devout. So there, in the Greek Orthodox Cathedral, Tom Hanks was in that place, and I didn't even know it. Tom Hanks, Katie Couric, Bill Gates, and so many others hiding in plain sight because when we're not looking for them, we don't see them. But this experience does tell me something about my ability to see God in unexpected places. Maybe it's not too much of a stretch to say that I might also miss God's presence in the mundane tasks of my daily life. In his commencement speech in 2005 at Kenyon College, the celebrated author David Foster Wallace begins his talk there by introducing two young fish who encounter an older fish swimming in the opposite direction. The elder fish tells the younger fish, Good morning, boys. How's the water? The two young puzzled fish swim on, and they say to each other, What's water? (laughs) How might these fish ever discover that the water right in front of them is hiding in plain sight? Well, maybe they would discover the water if they were jerked out of the water by someone who was fishing and they were wriggling at the end of the hook, gasping for breath that comes to them through water. I guess that would be a fish as essential crisis. I wanna think that we are more intuitive than fish, but sometimes for us, it takes some kind of shocking disruption to notice the things that are hiding in plain sight too. And that brings me to the text this morning. Jacob is a known trickster. And that would be a kind description. We encountered Jacob in the story just after he duped his brother Esau out of Esau's lawful inheritance by impersonating his brother to his blind, dying father. His mother who conspired to help Jacob pull off this impersonation scheme to the blind, ailing dad, has informed him that he needs to get out of town. Your brother is coming to kill you for revenge. And then the poor old dying father says, Jacob, go get a wife. So he has two directives, one from mom, one from dad. And he sets out on this uncertain journey across unfamiliar places, maybe thinking his whole little scheme didn't work out as well as he thought it might. He finds himself out in the wilderness as the sun is going down, and he takes a rock for a pillow and falls asleep in a place he never wanted to be, alone and very vulnerable. And when you're that vulnerable, you're a good candidate for ruminations in your mind from beyond or wherever they emanate. Jacob dreams of a ladder so big that it rises from earth to the heavens, and he receives promises from God. He dreams of angels going up and down that ladder, and he hears that voice of promise. God promises him land, continuing that promise that came from Abraham. And God promises him to bring him safely home. And it's that promise of safety and companionship at a moment that he was so alone and so vulnerable that changes everything. Jacob discovers that the heavens the seemingly unreachable realm somewhere out there is right here too. On earth as it is in heaven isn't as far away as we think. When he awakes he says surely God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Jacob reminds us that God is not confined to holy places, to places where clergy are present, to places where prayers and pleas flow like water. God is where we are vulnerable and uncomfortable and removed from everything that is familiar that has served us. God is with us in existential crises when we are flailing like fish at the end of a hook or where we're sleeping On a hard, cold rock. God is with us in dreams where angels connect the heaven and the earth. Jacob's dream was a great dream, and it has hints that the heaven and earth are closer than they seem. But it also made me think, in July, of one very famous angel, one you might know Clarence, the angel from It's a Wonderful Life. I know, I know. It's hard to think about Christmas in a day like today, but. Let's have a Hallmark Christmas in July moment. Clarence's job, for those of you who know Clarence, was to show the protagonist, a man named George Bailey, how much worse the world would have been had George Bailey not existed as the good man that he was. It was a wonderful life, and that's the point of the movie. But Angel Clarence shows George that there are people who appear when we need them the most to tell us what we need to hear. They cannot be but messengers of God. And at that moment, those messengers kind of earn their wings by helping us rise to be the humans that God intended us to be. When we realize this message, especially at a time when we're the least likely to feel it, we can too say, God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. We always think that we're in search of God and that we flail in our vulnerability or sleep on metaphorical rocks. But as Abraham Joshua Heschel said, God is in search of us as much as we are in search of God. We all have those default settings in our minds that skew what we notice. Moreover, we see ourselves as the center of the universe, because that's how we operate. And we think of our assumptions as the truth. When we raise our awareness beyond the limited scope of what we choose to notice, it's amazing what we can actually perceive. And this includes God. When we confine God to a relationship that is out there, and we view prayers exclusively as petitions to be answered or not, the amazing relationship of a God that is in everyone and in everything is elusive at best. On the other hand, when we actively shift our focus out of our rapid-fire thoughts that consume our day-to-day and focus on observing the intricacies of the wider world around us, we can better see the interconnectedness of humanity and the world. We can also feel humility, compassion, empathy, awe, wonder, and love. And it's there where God enters. Jacob was literally and figuratively at rock bottom. You can never unknow rock bottom moments in your life. Are they worth it? No, but they're not worthless. Father Bill Dowling was a Jesuit priest who was very close to Bill Wilson, the founder of AA. Last spring, America Magazine, which is the Jesuit magazine, did an article about him and his work with Bill Wilson. And there are two profound quotes that remain with me to this day. The first quote from Dowling reminds me of Jacob going to sleep on the rock on that fateful night. Father Dowling said, If I ever find myself in heaven, it will be by backing away from hell. If I ever find myself in heaven it will be by backing away from hell. I think that's what Jacob Jacob was doing. It's when we are looking up to the imaginary ladder to heaven, when we're literally at rock bottom and the only place we can look is up, that God is in our midst. God is with us and seeking us out in the most unimaginable and uncomfortable places with messengers guiding us to the heavens. The second amazing quote from Father Dowling was one of the first pieces of spiritual guidance he gave Bill Wilson the night they met in November of 1940. Dowling told Bill, If you can name it, it's not God. We have so many man made names and so many man made images and metaphors that we associate with God. Yet the problem with all these words and metaphors and images, many of them very beautiful, is that they reduce God, the infinite, into something that is definable and limited. In some ways, imagining a God who can be helpful, but the problem of that God imagery is that it transforms the experience of God, the divine presence, into a human person or a human image. God is not a human being. When we put those human attributes on God, it makes it difficult for us to experience the true magnitude of God's blessing. But when we realize that God has been in this place and we didn't know it, that God is in hard rocks, God is in loneliness, God is in uncertainty and messengers and dark nights, we can have an experience of God where, like Jacob, we stumble against something wondrous and transcendent, something that makes us marvel, chokes us up, and we stop thinking and just feel. We stop thinking. And just feel. And in that moment, you are profoundly connected to everything past, present, and future. Those feeling moments take us beyond ourselves and connect us to something bigger, whether that's a ladder to heaven, angels hiding in plain sight, or something else. God doesn't endow us with these experiences, God is these experiences. God is that place where your first self falls away and you're part of something bigger. Jacob the trickster, scared and lonely, is suddenly connected from earth to heaven. And he sees that God was in that place and he didn't even know it. Experiencing those hints of the divine, whether that's a sense of comfort on a dark night, or a stranger, or dreams or moments we can't describe or understand, those times connect us to the holy that was always there. And that is what heals. The late writer Frederick Buechner wrote, See life for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than the excitement and gladness, touch, taste. And smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments. And life itself is grace. Life itself is grace. When we recognize that this beautiful world, far from perfect, offers us so many opportunities to reach for the divine We can recognize that God has been with us in this amazing place all along, rocks it all, and we didn't even know it, hiding in plain sight. Amen. the village, where Jesus goes walking in that city of sin. Now the people who live there are their constant mind of the good. love and forgiveness and the mercy within. So quiet. So